This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into Attacking Third, a CBS Sports soccer podcast. I'm Lisa Roman, CBS Sports host and NWSL analyst alongside Sandra Herrera, lead NWSL writer for CBSSports.com. March is Women's History Month and Attacking Third, we are rolling out our fourth episode in our very special series celebrating the 50th anniversary of Title IX. Every Tuesday in March, we've released a special Title IX Tuesday episode where we've gotten the chance to speak to incredible women, Sam Ewis, Sandy Brondello, Katrina Adams, all about Title IX and really what it means in their field. As a quick reminder, please follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third. If you're listening as a podcast, give us a five-star rating and review. It just takes a second and it really helps us out. And if you liked our Title IX Tuesday series, drop us a comment with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts telling us what you liked, your favorite guests, or anything else you want to add, because we do really want to hear from you. Today on our fourth episode, we are speaking with incredible executive trailblazers, Kathy Carter and Amy Trask. Kathy Carter is up first. She's a former goalkeeper in soccer, but she's now the CEO of LA 28, the 2028 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. Kathy talks to us about being the only woman in a room, how she used sport and her experience as a student athlete to make her a better executive. And Kathy also talks about her personal experiences of gender discrimination throughout her career. If you want to watch any of our Title IX interviews, head on over to youtube.com slash attacking third. But up first today, our great chat with Kathy Carter. Hello and welcome to Attacking Third and Title IX Tuesdays. I am Sandra Herrera, joined today as always by my colleague and co-host Lisa Roman. Today we're so excited to be joined by an incredible sports executive and trailblazer. Also creeping back a little bit towards our soccer roots is uh, Attacking Third. We're joined today by the CEO of LA28 hosting the Summer Olympics in 2028, formerly CEO of Soccer United Marketing and of course a former soccer goalkeeper. We're welcoming Kathy Carter to the show. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you. I appreciate being here and thanks for all you guys are doing. Yeah, you know, we're we're just we've been doing these segments for Title IX. We're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And as we sort of ventured into other areas of sport, we were so excited to sit down and chat with you because we figured it was a way to us to get back to our soccer roots uh, in terms of these Title IX Tuesday segments. So we're so excited to chat with you, not only for your incredible executive achievements, but because you are a former soccer player and going to be running these Summer Olympics in LA 28. And of course, we had attacking third love soccer. And uh, for the Title IX Tuesday series honoring the 50th anniversary of Title IX, that means so much and so many things to so many different people, depending on who you speak with. But to sort of mm-hmm. kick things off here for you, in your own words, what is Title IX and what does it mean to you? 
Well, I don't think I'd be sitting here today if not for Title IX. I mean, I'm a classic Title IX baby. Um, and growing up where I did, which was just outside of Washington, D.C., let's say a, an early adopter of, uh, of opportunity for young girls, uh, I actually was able to, to play and really never knew a time where I wasn't able to participate in sport. Uh, and that was an incredible part of my uh, personal and professional journey. So for you as a former soccer player, not just uh, as a little girl, like so many uh, women have played growing up, but you played at William and Mary, a goalie. So we already know that you're strong, you're tough, you're a fighter. We know how intense goalies are. Um, but for you, Title Nine, how did it impact your life as an athlete, especially collegiately being able to play? Well, I might back up because, you know, I, um, I truly am. I mean, I was um, Title IX passed in 1972, and so I was three. Uh, so everybody can do the math and figure out how old I am. But um, but suffice it to say, by the time I actually started to play, and, and really as a, as a young kid, um, my two sports were, were soccer, and I dabbled a little bit in basketball. Um, and I don't remember it as much in soccer, but certainly in basketball, where at the time when I started to get into high school and started to play on the varsity team, we still had hand-me-down uniforms from the men's team. Um, so there was still some inequities as it related to what we experienced. And, and truly, you know, we certainly didn't always have the, uh, the best time slot for practice, whether that was in soccer or in uh, basketball, but we always had the opportunity to play. And so when I think back to those, that journey, and then suddenly as a young player, uh, at the time that I went to to William and Mary and went to college, and William and Mary was one of the the top programs in women's Division One collegiate soccer, you know, I went back and took a look a number of years ago, and you know, you think that uh, that was such a great period of time, but at the time, I think there were twenty or thirty, maybe thirty, maybe forty um, real Division One programs, but it was a very limited number of programs, and today. Uh, you look at the number of Division One programs and the opportunities for girls to continue their collegiate career, and I think it's more than 200 that actually have field uh, Division One funded programs. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just the, the maturation of soccer as, as, again, one that I'm probably a little bit more familiar with in the collegiate space, I think that is a direct you know, impact of, of Title IX. So, again, I actually was able to take advantage of the opportunity, and I think what we've seen over really the 50 years is just how that that uh, lens has opened and the aperture is much wider than it was when I was going through. So the number of girls that now have opportunity, again, whether it be in soccer or in other sports, is, you know, a, is really significantly larger today than it was even back then. You know, when we take a look at your experience and sort of share that with the with our listeners, you've worked extensively in in soccer as as an executive, specifically experience with the 1994 World Cup, um, MLS founding member, marketing for MLS, as well as U.S. soccer. But when in hindsight, when looking through the executive part of your career as, as a young soccer player, were were your personal goals to essentially work in soccer and in, in sport? What what essentially led you to these types of roles specifically? You know, that wasn't really the uh, the pathway because I don't think that anybody knew that there was a pathway. I think we were making it up as we went along. But what what was an opportunity is, and I think this is where you see the, the impact that collegiate sports can have on on the actual athletes. And I think the NCAA has historically had a, had a commercial that they talk about um, how many of their athletes go pro, but the, mo the majority of NCAA athletes actually go pro in something other than their sport. But what, what athletics actually 
actually provides is an opportunity for you to be to get um, greater uh, influence or or engagement in potential opportunities. And so, you know, as a young uh, student athlete, uh, one of the alumni of William and Mary um, is the the late great uh, Mark McCormick, uh, founder of. IMG, what is now many iterations since that period of time, but really at the forefront of sports marketing and the idea of sport as truly a business. And so in his efforts to always pay it forward, uh, he would always come back to the college and, and, and share some of his learnings. And it's something that uh, as a young athlete to hear that there was a business of sport, there wasn't, and I was, I remember vividly sitting next to a football player. I can't remember what his name was, but I just remembered this really big guy sitting next to me. We both walked out saying, that's what we want to do. But at the time, you know, how do you actually create an opportunity in an industry that at, at, at that period of time was rather, uh, was rather small. Um, and so it was an aspiration, but I certainly didn't have an idea of whether or not there would be opportunity um, so that was sort of, um, like I said, an aspiration and it's obviously worked out pretty well for me, but it wasn't foregone conclusion that that was the direction or a destination that I would actually be able to achieve. Sometimes that's how you end up in the best places. You're not expecting it and, and you veer off down a path career wise, personally wise, professionally wise, and, and you end up in a certain area of your field. So if you started with LA 28 in 2018 as the chief revenue officer and then promoted to CEO. So during your climb in these executive ranks through different companies and, and now with LA 28, what have you learned about yourself as a leader and, and how does that compare to your male coworkers? Well, I tend to look only on the journey that I'm on as opposed to necessarily compare it. Um, you know, I, I, you know, you you can look back at your journey, and you can look back at whether it's you know what's written on diversity and inclusion, and they often talk about being invited to the dance or um, be and, and actually being asked to dance as the difference between being at the table or actually being able to participate. Um, and I was actually really fortunate, um, no different than most women who have risen through uh, the the executive ranks. I think that that we've always had to come in better prepared. Uh, and do a heck of a lot more work, perhaps, than our male colleagues. Uh, and that's not to suggest that men aren't as aren't prepared, but but there's just a different. There was always, as I was growing up in the industry, a different standard. And you know, I just have always chosen uh, to look at that. Uh, at the time, I was like, well, why am I working so much harder? But I realized that actually that became a part of my superpower. Um, because as a result of the just the sheer uh, volume and, and breadth of what I had to do in order to be able to be at the table and be seen as credible, I actually had an opportunity to dig a lot deeper across the industry. And so that actually prepared me in a far different way. Um, you know, there's an old adage of fake it until you make it. But quite frankly, I had to do the work so I didn't have to fake as much because I actually had to know. And so um, I think that's been a part of the journey for me personally. And I think so many of my peers and my female colleagues that, uh, that, that uh, we've uh, sat around the table many, many times and, and shared our, our stories, our war stories, so to speak. I don't know how it is for the men, because quite frankly, I'm not a guy. So I think that they have their own journeys and they've got their <laughs> own war stories. But I will say there is a, a really, really interesting and terrific evolution that's occurred for women in business and certainly in the sports business. It was a very uh, lonely place when I first started out many years ago. And I think we have adopted something that men have in second nature. And I think team sports certainly provides some of that uh, training for all of us. 
I've got a gaggle of, of women that I consider to be, in some cases, those that keep me grounded, and in some cases, those that lift me up. Whether that's uh, uh, whether that is the the women who are um, sitting around board tables themselves, and and they actually can provide uh, a lot of encouragement as we face challenges. And I think that was something that was missing years ago. There and there just wasn't as ma- there weren't as many women around the table. And I think we are doing a far better job of of putting more and more women in the in the main seat in the C suite. Uh, and there's just a better group of women that we can depend on uh, to help and support as we go through the journey. You know, just sort of maybe staying with that, uh, you know, the evolution, right? Uh, you're talking about of, of of this timeline, starting as a player, now as, as a high-ranking uh, female executive, uh, to mentioning how maybe there were moments uh, throughout your the trajectory of your career where you were maybe the, the only woman in the room, or there were moments where you felt lonely. We've had a lot of different conversations with, with other women in, in, in the space of, of sport, and we've mentioned, uh, talked a little bit about those moments, if there were ever moments of, you know, facing the gender discriminations or, or moments where uh, you sort of had to work through those difficult times. Uh, what, what did you learn from those moments when, if you found yourself uh, faced with them? Well, I mean, listen, you don't get to certain levels without having been being, uh, punched in the face a couple of times. And, uh, you know, we all have great plans, but to pull an old adage out from Mike Tyson, everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face. So I don't know. I mean, I think that that we are all a collection of the experiences that we've gone through, uh, and whether that is through the challenges that we face on the climb, uh, on moments that we've been put into. I think what we are able to to identify, and certainly I know from my own perspective, what I've learned, and I'm not always great uh, at doing this, but certainly what I've learned is um, to take a minute and not react in the moment. Uh, but to give it some breadth to recognize, because there's often a, a larger uh, there's a larger picture at play in play uh, than the individual moment of and situation. But you also need to find what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And what I'm really encouraged by now um, is different than perhaps I and my my peer set. What we may had to have got, walked through to get to the, the the levels that we're we've achieved. I think that the younger women today coming through. I'm hopeful that they don't have to, to that, it, that the normalization of behavior has changed and the expectations are different. And I think that's a real asset for them. And my hope is that the journey is even smoother, although there'll be bumps because that's the nature of the journey. But I hope that we've been able to provide some opportunities for it to be that much easier. Uh, or the challenges will be in different places, let's say. Yeah, that's a good qualifier there. There'll still be challenges, yeah. but different places. And as you mentioned, thankfully, like after 50 years of Title IX, it has been more common to have women in sport, in places of power, in positions of power, um, in those leadership roles. It, it's less of a headline to have a female CEO or whatever role that may be. So how have you seen the perception of women in powerful positions change throughout your career? Well, I think we're still dealing with, and I think we've seen that, you know, through even our own political landscape, that we're still dealing with a level of unconscious bias. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's that we, and and, and I think the, the key thing is to, to, and I always talk about being on the edge of being patient and having an, 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 an impatience, and that's a razor's edge of where we all need to be. Um, and so I think that that we, we're making progress, um, but we have not achieved complete equality. 
Uh, and, and again, that may not be individual, but I think that's collective. And until we have, and, and you could say the same thing in terms of representation of Black Americans as an example. I mean, there's opportunity for us to strive to, um, to achieve better results and to have a pure reflection of the society that we represent. Um, so I don't think that, um, I think that's an aspirational destination across the board. And I think it's something that, uh, um, but we're still fighting a lot of unconscious bias or, or in some cases, flat out bias. Uh, and so I think there's, there's always opportunity and room for growth. You know, you've, you've worked alongside, I'm sure, with, with so many women having, you know, been within this space for, for so long, whether it was in a position as, as a, a leader for, a, a, you know, amongst other women or just being surrounded by women in the workplace. Um, in these discussions, there's also been uh, that we've been having an attacking third, where there's also been like um, a little bit of chatter about uh, the women that you work alongside with sometime in, in your mm -hmm. workspace and how they have impacted you or uh, what what uh, what guests have have learned uh, from other phenomenal women in the space. So for you, what's who are maybe some some women in, in the space that you have either looked up to or, or learned from a little bit, perhaps? Oh my goodness, that list is really, really long. But uh, you know, I'll, I'll go back just a just a, a step. Um, first of all, I try to learn every day, um, and I think I've been very fortunate. I'm surrounded at LA28 by some incredible women, uh, and 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 are in um, leadership and executive ranks. And I think we've done a really good job of of finding really terrific talent that that is pushing the ball forward uh, for us. And so. You know, that's a group that I learn from every day. And whether that um, is a recent woman that we brought aboard, uh, Michelle Schwartz or Amy Gleason, our head of marketing, um, to many of the people in our commercial space, like a woman by the name of, of uh, Zaylene Jean Mohammed or Kate Cash. Uh, we've got uh, Ann Rodriguez. I mean, the list, quite frankly, goes on. Um, outside of the industry and kind of where I realized the impact that you can have on somebody, I actually started when I was back in, at, uh, in my college playing days. Um, and I was very fortunate, and, and, and I've said this before in, in other discussions and other speeches or things like that, but as a young player, uh, I was before my junior year in college, and um, uh, one of the women that had graduated before me, a friend of mine, who happens to be Jill Ellis, uh, and she took a real, um, took time during that, that summer when we happened to both be coaching, ironically, at her dad's camps, um, to spend a lot of time talking and helping me start to identify the mental aspect of of your playing uh, and how you how you show up, and I'll never forget that was the best season I ever had in college, and I credit a lot of that to sort of the mental work we did. Um, and it wasn't like we were thinking that was mental work, but now that I look back, it really was. Um, so you see somebody like that, and and then you see how she's achieved such great success, and uh, you're not at all surprised. But um, and then there's many other. I could go on for the entire length of this podcast, whether it's uh, I was just in, in Boston at the Sloan Conference um, that was founded by Jessica Gelman, uh, whether it's uh, the woman who is at uh, FanDuel, uh, running FanDuel, uh, Amy Howe, or uh, good friends of mine that were just recently um, recognized at the Wise Women of the Year Awards, and Elizabeth Lindsay or Joanne Neal. I mean, literally, the amount of women that are out there to support each other is really, honestly, really incredible. Knowing all that you've learned from women ahead of you and women that you work with, what is one thing you're hoping to pass down to the women that are around you that, that you're hoping they're learning from you? Well, I think, um, 
that we can lead. You know, I think it's still, we are still in a process of destigmatizing that um, and identifying that women truly can have a mark, not just on our work, on our families, on our communities, uh, but can be leaders truly in what we want, what we want tomorrow to look like. Um, and so if we give, if I give one woman uh, an opportunity to believe that they have a shot, uh, I think that that to me is, is success. And if we can make it one step easier for them to achieve uh, the mantle, whatever that mantle is, and to own that destination for themselves in a way that they own it, as opposed to it happening to them. And I think well, that that to me is, is a part of, of the journey. You know, Kathy, we've had a lot of fun with with these interviews that we've been doing for for Title Nine Tuesdays, and we've towards the end of our uh, episodes, we've liked to have a, some some lighter hearted questions or reflective type questions. So for you and your background, we thought it could be fun to maybe chat a little bit, uh, you know, about Olympics uh, and and the Olympic sports that come into play during the Summer Olympics specifically. So, with your background as soccer, I'm going to take that one away from you. Okay. Amen. Okay. Is there is there another summer Olympic sport that uh, is your favorite to watch? And if you could compete in a non soccer summer Olympics sport, what uh, what event would yours be? Yeah, you know, let me let me tell you. I'll tell you, one of the greatest experiences I've had was actually sitting with Janet Evans during the U.S. swimming trials, and I had and I, such an appreciation as we were standing up there and we were cheering loudly for for um, one of the young swimmers. I, I was you know I just thought to myself. You know the the swimming. What an unbelievable sport! Um, and what these athletes are able to do. So that I, I got to tell you um, is pretty pretty spectacular. But but honestly, when you see the the power of athletes and their voices, and and now I'm getting a chance to meet and learn from so many of the Olympians. It's so cool. They are such amazing people, let alone athletes. And we just had a bunch of them in Park City as we were entertaining people for. Uh, the winter games. And uh, you just, you realize how committed they are to pay it forward themselves. Um, so what else would I want to play? You know, I probably basketball, but I'm, I'm too darn short to be any good at it. Um, and I'm too, well, let's be honest, I'm too old to, to think that I could ever get back on the field or, or, or on the field of play on any of the sports. But as you're right, soccer is my sport. That would have been my number one, but I'd say basketball. I love the three V three, by the way, which was new. Yeah. And uh uh, and obviously, uh, you know, we think that uh, that's that there's so many other great things that that uh, that go on during the games. Well, we hope you get out on the court, the field, something like that. Um, as you mentioned, I mean, Olympians are so cool. Athletes are so cool in, in general. And here at Attacking Third, Sandra and I, we mainly cover the NWSL, the Women's Professional League in the United States and two new expansion clubs coming in in California. Now you are in L.A., and, and that's where your work is mainly. But you mentioned that you're pretty good friends with Jill Ellis, who is with San Diego Wave FC. Mm -hmm. So NWSL season is about to start the regular season. Who are you cheering for? Which which team are you supporting? L.A., Angel City or San Diego? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I will tell you, I actually really like the team that Jill's put together um, and, and that they I think they they're. Uh, which you would expect, obviously, the the soccer IQ that they have in San Diego is is probably is off the charts, and so I really think they're going to come out on the field pretty hot. 
but how can you beat what Angel City is doing um, on the field, we think, but certainly in the community. And so just you know, massive props to them. Uh, growing up as, a, as one, as you mentioned, as one of the founders of, of Major League Soccer, what I realized is when you're in the, the, the seat and you haven't actually been able to grow up with the team, you always root for the home team. So I'm going with whoever's at home is going to be my number one choice. So how about that for a cop out of, of picking one? <laughs> I love. But that. I gave you some nuggets just in terms of what I liked about what both of them are doing. Now I do think San Diego is going to be great in the community as well, not to take away from either one. But I'm I'm particularly keen on what they're doing on the field in San Diego. All I right, all right. I love that. I got it. I got a we will got a supportive answer for for both the community aspects and and yeah. the soccer aspect. So we'll we'll take it. I love that. Uh, let let's close it out here. In, in terms of Title Nine, closing out the the episode here. We've we've come a long way in the last fifty years in, in terms of, of gender equality. But you know, as women, we know there's always so much work to be done. How how much further uh, do you feel the need that we need to go? And and what are some of your your dreams or hopes for for the next fifty years here? Well, I mean, I, you know, I hope someday we drop gender um, and we just talk about equality in its totality, and whether that be um, be uh, gender or race or disability. You know, we've got the Paralympics coming as well in 2028, um, and I think that similarly is an underserved. But for purposes of today, my hope is that we no longer have to talk about gender equality. Uh, that in fact, it's just so ingrained in, in everything we do that it's. It's not a surprise when a woman is CEO, or I hope one day when a woman is the president of the United States. But, but in fact, um, that is just acceptable in a way that, of course, as opposed to it being a, a news story. That being said, I think we're all going to continue to work like crazy until that day comes. Uh, and my hope is that we, there's a day where we no longer talk about gender, but we just talk about equality and continue that journey for all underrepresented uh, people in, in both our country and, and ultimately across across the world. I love that. Uh, close it out. Kathy Carter, thank you so much for joining and sharing a bit of your story with us. I want to thank Kathy Carter so much again for joining us. Next, Sandra and I had the privilege of speaking with Amy Trask. Amy is a panelist on CBS Sports Network's We Need to Talk. And you probably know her name as being the CEO of the Oakland Raiders. Amy shares really sound professional advice. She discusses her leadership skills and how they differ from her male colleagues. And Amy actually opens up a little bit about the time that she made a big mistake and how she learned from it. Enjoy our Title IX Tuesday Trailblazer Edition interview with Amy Trask. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. 
We're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Title IX throughout the month of March with Title IX Tuesdays. We've spoken with some incredible women who are true game changers in their fields from athletes to Olympians and more. And today we are so lucky to be joined by another trailblazer in their own sense. We have a very special guest, Amy Trask. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for including me in the discussion. It really and truly is my honor and pleasure to join you for this conversation. I'm, we were both so excited, Lisa and myself, to have you hop onto the show. Just for, for folks out there, our listeners who are unfamiliar with, with who you are and your role in the sports landscape, your sports executive, former CEO of Oakland Raiders, NFL's first female front office executive. You were honored in 2019 as one of the greatest game chasers in NFL history, and you're currently serving in the board of the Big Three Basketball League. So it's a huge resume for folks who might be unfamiliar uh, with you in terms of your accomplishments. Uh, and in honoring the 50th anniversary of, uh, of Title IX, civil rights law in 1972, that has since evolved and it means obviously so much more now, right, in the present day. And in your own words, Amy, to sort of kick off our celebrations, for you, what what is, uh, what is Title IX? Well, I'll start by noting that many of your fans, many of the people who enjoy your content, probably weren't born when Title IX was enacted. And I don't even want to know if you guys were born when Title IX was enacted. You probably were not. I was. I was a kid, a little kid, but I was a kid when Title IX was passed. So I have a perspective that spans many decades. And it's very, very hard for many people to imagine, and really for me to imagine as well, um, that it was only enacted in my lifetime, that and that it hasn't been around forever and ever. It took too long um, and it has made a difference in a lot of lives. I agree with that. I'm always amazed and shocked that it wasn't just the norm forever and that things really did have to evolve and change. And before we dive all into that, I have to say, I love the baseball cap sporting some CBS sports network. I see Amy love to see that. What What's with the wardrobe choice today? I love it for our show. Oh. Well, it is sort of an interesting wardrobe choice because it is a cap, but I did get dressed up. I have earrings on. So we've got the baseball cap and we've got earrings. I want you to know I did dress for you. Uh, The answer is the cap um, gives me the confidence to look into this camera and have this conversation with you. I have ever since I was a very, very little girl had a tremendous insecurity about my appearance. We all have insecurities. Uh, overcoming them feels pretty good. And baseball caps give me the confidence I need to jump on camera with you. Uh, I really think whoever invented the baseball cap should, or whoever, if it was one person or multiple people, should receive the Nobel Prize retroactively because it really does. And, you know, look, I'm sounding silly about it, but the fact is being on camera is the scariest thing I have ever done. When I left the Raiders and was contacted by CBS Sports Network about joining the CBS Sports, CBS Sports Network family, my immediate hard reaction was no, 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 no. You know, I was like Khrushchev um, in the missile crisis when he slammed the table and said, Niet, Niet, Niet. Now, I know a lot of you weren't alive, but you might want to Google that. It was a very interesting moment in history. Uh, I just said, no, 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 no. I can't go on camera. I'll never go on camera. Being on camera is the scariest thing I've ever done. I'm tremendous. Look, if you go back and you look at family movies from when I was growing up, I'm the one person in the family who was never in them. 
because I would see a camera and run so fast the other direction. Similarly, all my years with the Raiders when I was on the sideline pregame, if I saw a television camera coming my way, people teased me that I ran so fast the other way that Al Davis, for those who don't know, the owner of the team, would have signed me to play defensive back. That's how fast I ran from the cameras. (laughs) So I said no initially and um, quite a few times. And finally, someone in what I refer to as my village very quietly said to me, Amy, let it go. And that resonated with me. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And I jumped in to joining CBS Sports Network, could not be happier that I did so. My first week on television, I said to the producer at the time, uh, I said to Sean, I'm so scared. I think I'm going to throw up all over myself when we go live. And his response was, we would get so many YouTube views for that. (laughs) So I laughed. We all laughed. And my then teammate, Bart Scott, who was on the show with us, held my hand every single moment that we weren't on camera. He actually held my hand. And when we'd go live again after a commercial, he'd let go of my hand. I would tough it up. I would do it. And he held my hand. And I'm sharing all of this with you probably at more length than you would like, because I think it's important that kids, not just little girls, not just little boys, you know, teenagers, men, women understand we all have something about which we're insecure. And sometimes saying, okay, I'm going to let it go is really, really exciting. And baseball caps give me the confidence to do that. Would you say that like it, the, rocking the the baseball cap is maybe uh, a not so secret superpower, so maybe a, a secret weapon in your arsenal that you can have? I know for myself and Lisa, and even for the three of us chatting a little bit off mic, we talked a lot about uh, being able to establish ourselves comfortably, right, in our in our environments and these spaces that maybe sometimes require us to to go in front of a, of a camera. I know for some of our listeners who've been with us since day one, have, have who view our show in the video component for YouTube versus the audio component on a podcast, have seen me wear a baseball cap from time to time. I've seen Lisa wear a baseball cap uh, from, from time to time. And I'm not sure people realize that, that the, the concept of... Uh, you know, kind of maybe a little bit of broadcast, right? Anxiety is 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 very real for for some folks, and it's not just from younger folks and younger generations, but adults, grown adults as well. well. I love your use of the word superpower. I may adopt that. I've never ever been frightened about speaking publicly. I've spoken publicly throughout my career. It's the camera that scares me. And when I do this myself, look, I grew up in a family. I never learned how to do my own hair. I never learned how to put on makeup. You know, CBS has, I think they bring the people in from Hogwarts because these people that come in to do our hair and makeup are magicians. I don't know how to do that. So, and by the way, if this entire camera tips over, it's because we're about to be invaded by a cat. Uh, You know, I don't know how to do my own hair or my makeup in a manner that gives me confidence. I never have known that. So superpower, yes, but it lets me hide. It lets me hide a little bit. And that gives me confidence because the lack of confidence on my part simply relates to my appearance. You mentioned it as a lack of confidence, yet you are an analyst. You are on CBS Sports Network. So when you, I mean, how did you get to this point besides overcoming all of your fears and and letting go of that? But like when you look back 
through your career and really where you started. I mean, it, specifically, let's look at one of your most notable roles as as CEO of the Oakland Raiders. Um, you didn't just walk into the office and get that role. It started well before that. I mean, uh, you started as an intern there as you were a student. So when you look back at that point and now you are on television and you've overcome so many obstacles and, and so many fears of yours, what was your goal when you started way back then as a student? Well, I will just note before I jump into that, because you, you made a tremendous point I wish to address, but I will just note the lack of confidence is not in what I have to say. I've never lacked confidence in sharing thoughts, in speaking. I, I'm confident in what I have to say. The lack of confidence is in the way I look. And that dates back to when I was a little girl. You, you made yeah. a tremendous point, Lisa, about not just waking up one day and saying, I'm going to be a CEO or I'm going to be a head coach or I'm going to be the president of a business. You have to work your way into those positions. And that's why it's so terrific to see uh, businesses, not just in the sporting world, but businesses in general, creating opportunities for those who have not traditionally had them to work their way up through organizations. And frankly, any organization that does any business, sports or otherwise, that does not hire without regard to race, gender, ethnicity, or any other individuality, which has no bearing whatsoever on whether one can do a job, deserves to fail. You know, listening to you talk about this this process uh, and the role that that led, the, your beginning role to the role that it eventually led to, the concept of going from intern to CEO, right? This ladder that uh, is is that that people sort of look at. Is there ever a moment in this this process, you know, when maybe you're not realizing that it is a ladder that you're climbing? And is there ever a moment where like there was like a light bulb that went out and you sort of just asked yourself, like, you know, I can do this. Like if in, in the moments of self-doubt, is there ever a light bulb that goes on what that says, wait a minute, I can be the CEO of this organization that maybe typically doesn't have people who look like me in this position? That's a fascinating question. I've never considered that, um, whether there was a moment. Nothing occurs to me uh, off the top of my head. Maybe if I give it some thought as we're talking, something will occur to me. But Lisa, to your earlier question, I didn't have a plan. You know, people said, well, what was your plan when you joined the organization? What did you believe your trajectory would be? What did you want your trajectory to be? I had no plan whatsoever. I joined as an intern, ultimately then was hired on a full-time basis, and I was simply thrilled to be part of a team and to contribute in any way I could. I had no eye on advancement. I had no eye on trajectory. I was simply thrilled to be part of the organization, and I worked hard. I worked really, really hard, and I did anything and everything I could that I thought would be a positive contribution. When you look back at, at that moment and starting, um, obviously it's become more prevalent to have women in sports roles and in sports industries and sports organizations. Um, but for someone like me, I work in sports, but every day in my production meeting with other producers, there are 12 other dudes and me. I'm the only female in our meetings. And I'm I'm used to that being in this world. But for you, as someone who 
was not just a woman in the room, but a woman leading the room, a woman uh, being in charge of the meeting and organizing it. What went through your mind? Were were there any thoughts that came out to you when you looked around and, and you didn't see as many females as males? Well, you know, the, the reason you saw me smiling as I was when you were describing your experience of walking into a woman, when I joined the Raiders, it was, I'd say the kind of early part of the mid eighties was when I was an intern. And then I joined the organization on a full-time basis in the mid eighties. And when I went to my first NFL owners meeting, I was the only woman in the room. And that was the case for a number of years. Ultimately that changed. Uh, Jeannie Bonk with the Chargers, uh, Hannah Gordon is now with the 49ers. So I did see some progress, but you're absolutely right. When I, we, we've had a similar experience is what I'm stating poorly. You know, when I joined the Raiders, I was the only woman. When I went to my first league meeting, I was the only woman. And the answer is, I didn't think about it. And here's why. Um, well, first of all, as a basis, you know, I recognize the good fortune I had. I worked for a business owner, Al Davis, who was utterly unconcerned with the fact that I was a woman. He didn't care. Uh, You know, this is a man who hired Tom Flores, and then he hired me, and then he hired Art Shell. He hired people without regard to race or gender. And I was, it was never lost on me, the great fortune I had working for someone like him. I mean, look, when I was hired by the Raiders, that hadn't been done before by an NFL team. But to your question about um, what did I think when I walked into a room, whether a meeting at the Raider offices, whether with you know it, uh, players or coaches or municipal leaders, bankers, business partners, Raider ownership, or when I walked into a league meeting and I was the only woman, I didn't care. I didn't think about it. It just never made sense. By the way, it still doesn't make sense to me to walk into any setting with the hope and the expectation that no one is going to be thinking about my gender if I'm thinking about my gender. This may not be the right way for everyone to proceed, but it worked for me. And by the way, if I went into a meeting and other people were thinking about the fact that I was a woman and I wasn't giving it any thought, well, advantage me because I'm not wasting my time thinking about something that was utterly irrelevant to the meeting. Love that. I love listening to you talk about your process of of that, that if you're not keeping that in the front of your mind, then maybe that's also going to be reflecting amongst the others who are in the room with you. Staying with this a little bit, when we're talking to you, looking back right on your professional career as a whole, whether it was starting out in this industry or even even now uh, because you know Lisa's speaking to her personal experiences with recency and I can also relate to that as well and for, so in terms of this timeline from beginning or whether to present day were were there moments though of of perhaps a tough moment where you had to encounter uh, you know discrimination based based on gender well I don't I don't consider this a tough moment um, I, I actually handled it in a manner that was, and let, let me back up and say, I will share with you how I handle the situation. And I will clearly note that it doesn't mean it's the right way for everyone to handle a situation. The best advice I ever received in my life was from my mom, who told me from the time I was a little girl, and as moms can do, she told me over and over and over and over as I grew up, to thine own self be true. And the reason I note that now is I handled something in a manner that was true 
to myself. It doesn't mean it's the right way for everybody. I went to that first league meeting I referenced. And before the league meetings, people gathered in the back of the room and there was coffee and a little bit of breakfast. And then the meeting was called to order. So I was in the back of the room and having a cup of coffee and the owner of a team approached me and asked me to get him coffee. So on just a moment, just it took me just a second to decide what I wanted to do. And I looked at him and I said, sure, how would you like that? Because I knew that in a moment or two, the meeting would be called to order and he would see that I wasn't leaving the room. I was staying for the meeting because when he asked me to do that, I looked around and I realized that was the moment I realized I was the only woman in the room who wasn't part of the catering staff. So he walked up to me, assuming I was with the catering staff and asked me to get him coffee. So I looked at him and I said, sure, how do you take that? And he told me and I got him his coffee and handed it to him. And within a few moments, the meeting was called to order and we all walked to our seats. And when he saw me take a seat in the meeting room, it was as if you could see the blood draining from his face. Well, I looked at him and I started laughing Mm. and he looked at me and he started laughing and we both enjoyed a good laugh. And from that moment on, for almost the next 30 years, every single league meeting, he walked up to me and said, how would you like your coffee? May I get you some coffee? How would you like that? And you know, I don't, he wasn't at every meeting for the next 30 years, but it was almost the three decades I was in the league meeting. He would walk up to me and say, may I get you coffee? And the fact is for that period of time, he became from the moment I met him that day, one of my biggest supporters and advocates. And he encouraged me and supported me in every way he could. And I share this with you because I've been criticized for the manner in which I handle that. Some people have said to me, you should have addressed him sternly. You should have taken him down. You should have yelled at him. Well, I handled it in a manner that was true to myself and it was effective and it was fun. So my message in all of this is be true to yourself. When you encounter a moment like that, handle it in a manner that feels right to you. And for me, it worked. You know, having that that advice from your mother just sort of be able to reach into that and sort of, you said it took you like a second to go ahead and decide that that's how you wanted to, to handle it. Would you say that was that particular moment, maybe a way in that advice from your mother, the way in which you tried to uh, approach any and all uh, scenarios that could potentially be uncomfortable like that? It is the best way I've ever handled anything. Uh, all of what I would consider my mistakes, my bumbles, my fumbles, my stumbles have, one, have been when I haven't handled something in a manner that is true to myself. I don't have any regrets when I handle something in a manner that is right for me. My regrets in business are when I, when I pushed, pushed that aside and handled something in a manner that I didn't find true to myself. And by the way, in the spirit of candor, I will note that when my mother said, to thine own self be true, again, that started when I was a very little girl. It wasn't until I was well into college that I learned that it was William Shakespeare who wrote that and that my mother didn't invent that. She was simply quoting him. But whether it comes from Shakespeare or my mom, it's the best advice I've ever received. I mean, that experience at the start of the league meeting, at the start of your tenure, when when you were with the Raiders, um, 
And then now after the 30 years to kind of see how that evolves, how did the industry in a, I'm going to use the term industry, but that just means like the other people working in the industry and overall, how did the industry's perception of women being in those league meetings and, and being game changers, how did their perception change over the 30 years that you were involved? I don't know that there was a change for the industry as the whole. Certainly the perception of some changed. The perception of others did not. Um, you know, I shared the story of the gentleman who asked me to get him coffee. If it's okay with you, I will share a story on the other end of the spectrum at the outset of my career, uh, because this is the way things should work. And it answers your question as to how the industry changed. For some, the industry didn't change and didn't need to change. For others, it needed to change and it has changed or is changing. And for others, it hasn't changed at all. Very, very, very early in my career, I was on our practice field standing on the sideline. It was towards the end of practice, so the media had been allowed in. And I was there with, I was entertaining some of our partners. And one of the media members in attendance yelled out in a voice, not a scream, not a shout, but used a voice clearly intended for a lot of people to hear and said to Jean Upshaw, who was there at practice, Jean, what's it like having a girl work for the Raiders? And in his booming, booming voice, Jean said, she's not a girl. She's a Raider. Well, that was in the 80s. And my point in sharing that is some people didn't need to change their views. They held them all along. Some people still need to change their views and nothing has helped them do so. I'm just like, I'm loving it. Like listening to you. I I'm love that story. Some, I'm getting like oh, awesome I, stories. I'm like still sitting on like, she's not a girl. She's, she's a Raider uh, in terms of connecting that to. When Jean said industry. that, and, and for those who are watching or listening, who don't know, Jean Upshaw was a mountain of a man, both physically and intellectually, morally, and otherwise. He was a mountain of a man. And when Gene Upshaw, standing on the sideline in a booming voice, said that, I, I almost popped. My heart popped. I just, I almost exploded um, at how touched I was that he did that. And that set a tone for many people. You know, Amy, you actually wrote a book about this amazing life that you've lived as a professional about being a female executive specifically you negotiate like a girl reflections on a career of the national football league where we're talking to you all about it what what, what was it about uh the, the writing this book what prompted or inspired you to write a, a book like that i love to write um, there was a period in my life where I thought, well, maybe I'll be like, you know, Jessica Fletcher and I'll go live somewhere and, and write uh, mystery novels. And again, for all of you who are too young to know Jessica Fletcher, Murder, She Wrote, Google it. Great TV series. But I thought, you know, maybe I would write spy novels or mystery novels. And then there was a period of time I thought maybe I'd be a journalist. I just love to write. So my thought process was, let me write some of this down. I didn't write it thinking, oh, it's going to be a book. I wrote it because I enjoyed writing and I had made the decision to step away from the Raiders and I wanted to write down some of those memories and I was approached about writing a book. And so it turned into a book. 
throughout your career, you've been a leader and you've been a role model in this sense. I mean, you wrote a book about it, which without giving anything away with the book, um, I mean, from Raiders CEO to chairman of big three, uh, the LA sports and entertainment commissions board, powerful. These are powerful, high ranking roles for you being in these executive positions. What have you learned about your own personal leadership styles and especially how they compare to male counterparts of yours? Great question. The most important thing I learned, and it is so, so important to thine own self be true is the best advice there is. If you are going to be a leader, if you wish to be a leader, if you have a career as a leader, be true to yourself. Lead in the manner that feels right to you. You can't, look, as I said earlier, the only regrets I have, look, I've made mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes. The mistakes I regret are when I tried to be something or be someone I was not. I don't regret anything, mistake or otherwise, when I was true to myself. So some of the things that I did that I think were important in leadership are encourage people that it's okay to make a mistake. And in doing that, let them know when you make a mistake, because nothing is going to encourage others with whom you work to acknowledge mistakes than if you acknowledge mistakes. I often said to staff at staff meetings and otherwise, look, if you're a surgeon and you scream out, oh no, or something worse in the middle of a surgery, that could be a problem. If you are a fighter jet pilot and you're flying 500 miles an hour upside down and you scream, oh crap, that could be a problem. But in the business world, Making a mistake is not the end of the world. It might cost money to fix it. It might cause a little bit of whoop-de-doo, but it's not the end of the world. So I encouraged people to not only know that it was okay to make a mistake, but to let me know when they made a mistake. And the way I did that is by saying, look, when I make a mistake, I'm going to tell you guys I made a mistake. And I'm going to look to have you help me fix it. And every single time I made a mistake, an error in judgment, a mistake in terms of how I approached a situation, I would gather appropriate staff together and I would say, I made a mistake, help me fix it. And everyone was eager to help me fix it. And I let them know, when you make a mistake, tell me, and I'm going to do everything I can to help you fix it. And by the way, they got pretty smart and realized the bigger my mistake, the more ice cream sundae fixings I would have at that meeting where I called them in to help me fix the mistake. Because if there was a full (laughs) conference table full of every flavor and every topping imaginable, they knew it was a big mistake. I'm learning so much from this. I'm learning so much. I mean, make the mistakes, own up to your mistakes and admit them, wear baseball caps. I am like growing with confidence. Ice cream toppings. Put that on your notes too. You know, I I made um I made a pretty significant error in judgment at one point in my career before I was made named CEO. And the reason I note it was before that is it obviously didn't keep Al from advancing me to that position. But I made a very significant error in judgment. I misread a situation as to how someone outside of the organization was interacting with us. And the mistake I made in judgment, the error in judgment, cost us a lot of money. 
So at one point I walked into Al's office and I said, I made a mistake. I misread this situation. I explained it all to him. And I said, you know, if you would like to fire me, I understand that. He didn't say anything. He didn't look up from what he was doing. I stood there a while. I finally walked out. Well, it was eating at me and haunting me. So a couple of days later, I walked, you know, maybe a day or two later, I walked back into his office. I explained it again. I said, look, it was a big mistake. Here's how much it cost us. Uh, You know, if you want to fire me, fire me. Again, said nothing. I walked out. Finally went in a third time. I said, let me make this easy for you. I'll fire myself. And he finally looked up and he said, you made a mistake. It cost us money. You're not going to make, and and by the way, there were F-bombs all through what he was saying, but I'm not using the exact quote, but it was littered with F-bombs. And he said, you made a mistake. I know you won't make the same mistake again. And as I'm walking out, he laughed to himself. He said, you'll make other mistakes. You just won't make this same one again. And again, it was funnier the way he said it because there were F-bombs throughout there. But the message he conveyed to me in the manner he conveyed it was, you made a mistake. It cost us money. I know you won't make this mistake again. And you know, then he added the fun part, which is you'll make other ones. But he had that view as well. I love that. I think uh, listening to you uh, share, you know, the the moments in which maybe at the time felt like failures, right? To sort of kind of work through them and and utilize them now as moments of uh, personal experience uh, is it's it's been a joy to chat with you and hear you speak about this uh, in terms of the your career uh, and how we're celebrating things really with with Title Nine here on on attacking third. So. You know, I, I guess to maybe close out, maybe to end on maybe a little bit of a, a reflective question, perhaps, you know, we've we've come a long way, right, in, in, in the last 50 years or so in terms of, of gender equality, uh, but there's always work to be done, right? How much further do we need to go and what are your dreams, you know, for the next 50 years? I love the way you phrase that question, uh, because whenever we see a woman advanced in sports or otherwise, I'm asked, are you excited? And my answer is, sure. But what's going to be really exciting is when these moments are no longer newsworthy because they're the norm. And you're only asking me if I'm exciting, if I'm excited because it's newsworthy. This shouldn't be newsworthy. Look, when Apollo 13 was up in space and that spacecraft had a problem, do you think the men on Apollo 13 cared who was sitting around that table in NASA? trying to figure out how to get them back to earth alive? Do you think anyone on Apollo 13 cared if the people in NASA were men or women? Do you think they cared about their race or their ethnicity or their religion or their age? They just wanted to get back to earth alive. And what's gonna be really exciting is when that's everyone's view. I love it. Let's end end on on that. Uh, Amy Trask, we wanna thank you so much for for joining us on Attacking Third and sharing your story with our listeners. We also like to take the time towards the end of episodes to thank our listeners. So thank you to our audience for joining us today. You can follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third for more. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you listen to your podcast shows. We're also available as video. Please subscribe to us. Visit youtube.com slash Attacking Third. And we'll be back next Tuesday with more Title IX Tuesday coverage. For Sandra Herrera, Lisa Roman, and Amy Trash, this was a Okay, picture this. 
It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.